0: Let's open our Bibles to Luke 19 this morning, Luke 19, and we're going to jump way ahead in our study in Luke because today is Palm Sunday. It is traditionally on the church calendar that Sunday before Easter. This is the day that Jesus officially rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and officially presented himself to the people of Israel as their savior. Psalm one eighteen twenty four 24 says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, we are so used to going through our Christian life, relating to God in times when we call out to him when we need him. We go to church, we go to our small groups and different activities. But it's important to remember that God also is working in our lives and is trying to get our attention. While we're just going through our routines, God is saying, I want you to pay attention today. There are what we might say is appointed times. And isn't it easy to have maybe today is a day in which God desires to do something in your life and. The fear is that you might miss it. It would come, you see it, you go, I don't know, I don't think so. But it's important that we are paying attention, that we're listening. But all of that is really exemplified in Palm Sunday, the day the Lord has made. The seven things that I think of that are significant about that day, number one it is the the day that begins what we call Passion Week. It begins the countdown to the resurrection. Secondly, it is God's appointed time to officially present his son. And because he doesn't want the people of Israel to miss it, he's going, this is the day. And I'm going to explain more about why they should have known that this was the day. You think, well, if it's such an important day, how are we supposed to know? God knows that we are so prone to missing it. Jesus would say how important it is to pay attention to the signs that are going on around us. And so because we struggle with really seeing what's happening there are certain times which God goes out of his way to make sure that we don't miss it. Thirdly, this is the day that people shouted, Hosanna, which means, save now. Fourth, significantly, this is the day in which Jesus allowed people to openly worship him. In all of the the days and years leading up to this, how often would Jesus heal somebody and he would say, look, go home and tell your family. Or people would, would try and cry out and worship him and he would just say, it's not time yet. And this is the time. This Palm Sunday. Um, fifth, this is the, the day that that Jesus openly provokes the Jews, the religious leaders, They're already scheming against him, but this, Jesus openly allowing the people to worship him, this hurries up the Jewish leaders' plans to have him betrayed and executed. Sixth, this is the day predicted by Daniel in the Old Testament. In Daniel chapter 9, we'll look at in a minute. This is a day in which families all over Israel are bringing into their homes a Passover lamb. You remember that Jesus was crucified on Passover. He had to be crucified on Passover. Do you know why? Because he is the Passover lamb. All of the other lambs in which people are are killing and cooking, preparing and eating for their Passover supper. They are all reminders of the real Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And so on this day, the beginning of the week, families are choosing a lamb, a spotless lamb, and they are literally going to bring that little lamb inside the house And observe it for four days. They are bonding with it. Kind of becoming part of the family. And John the Baptist will say of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. It wasn't just a figure of speech to say Jesus was the Lamb of God. He was the Lamb for the house of Israel. Pilate would examine him and say, I have examined him and have found no fault in him. The Roman guard standing next to Jesus at the crucifixion will say, truly, this was the Son of God. By all testimonies, people are watching him, examining him, and they are making the declaration, he is sinless. He is spotless, and that's what would be required for each Passover lamb, for Jesus to be spotless. We're going to look at Luke 19, picking up at verse 29, and the first thing we want to see is that Jesus prepared himself for this day. How many times have we heard, well, You know, going to the cross was like this backup plan for Jesus to be a martyr for this new religion of Christianity. Have you ever heard that? Not true. Jesus knew this is exactly what was going to happen, and he prepares himself for the day. Let's pick up at verse 29. Follow with me. Luke writes, And it came to pass, When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany, at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, saying, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to to him, Because the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. They threw their own clothes on the colt and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Again, it's important to see that Jesus deliberately set the stage for his entering into Jerusalem this day. It wasn't just accidental. He wasn't just riding in on a donkey and the crowds got caught up in the moment and Jesus went with it. That wouldn't make this any kind of a special day. Jesus said in Luke 18... 31 to 33, behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the son of man will be accomplished. Do you hear that? All things that were written by the prophets will be accomplished. What things? For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him, and the third day he will rise again. There is no way in which we could skeptically say that Jesus didn't know what was going to happen. And let me remind you, all of this is laid out so clearly so that you and I will not have any excuse for believing in him. Every doubt, every question is intended to be removed so that we can with confidence commit our life to the Lord. Not because some religious obligation or your parents were Christians or whatever, but because we are convinced that Jesus truly is the son of God. The donkey was possibly owned by another disciple of Jesus that that Jesus had prearranged this with of course, because he knew what was going to happen of the events of that day. The donkey was how kings in Israel traveled. Did you know that? They were not to travel by chariots and horses and SUVs and limos the way that other kings rode. Specifically laid out in the Old Testament that the kings of the people of Israel were to travel in a humble, meek manner by donkey. That's not very prominent. That's not a big show, but that's how God intended it to be. Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is how specific these details are. A donkey, yes, but even a colt, the foal of a donkey. Secondly, I want you to see that, that Jesus presents himself to the people of Israel. He literally is presenting himself Verses 37 to 40. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. The people praise him. The Pharisees recognize what's happening and they, they tell Jesus to tell the people to stop doing that. And he says, no, this is the time. It has to happen this day. And even if the people are quiet, the very rocks on the ground will shout out praises to him. You know what's amazing is if you ever take a tour to Israel, you go from historical site to historical site, from geological dig to dig, and what they do, the tour guides stand stand there, point to piles of rocks, and say, this is where this happened in the Bible. Literally, the stones, the rocks cry out and testify to us. It's it's really quite an amazing irony if you go to Israel to just go from pile of rocks to pile of rocks, and you're standing there where Jesus did something significant. And it's even amazing to me that many of the tour guides in Israel are not even believers and yet they know the story of the Bible and how Jesus worked. It just happens over and over again. Jesus allowed worship on this day for two reasons and to fulfill prophecies. One is because, again, the very day has been predicted. It has to happen on this day. Back in Daniel 9... I'm going to read just two verses out of Daniel 9. If you love to study the Bible and prophecy, Daniel 9 is a passage you should know because it's still being fulfilled in our time. Daniel 9, 25 and 26 says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah, the prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built and the wall, even in troublesome times. And after 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off or executed, but not for himself. Now that whole passage beginning before what I read says that there is a, a period of 70 weeks that are determined on the people of Israel. This word was given to Daniel. Daniel is in what we call the Babylonian captivity. The Jews have been taken captive into Babylon for a period of 70 years as a punishment. It was in that captivity that Daniel found something that Jeremiah wrote. Jeremiah was the prophet Warning the people of Israel that if they didn't repent, they were going to be taken captive by the Babylonians. They didn't repent and they were taken captive. Jeremiah wrote that the captivity would last 70 years. Daniel in the captivity finds what Jeremiah wrote. And it throws him into this intense time of prayer and fasting. Because he realizes the time is about done. The time of the 70 years of captivity. And in his intense prayer and fasting, the Lord gives him this prophecy that we often call the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, it's not a week as in seven days, we think of a week. In the Old Testament, a week is a period of seven years. And you can find that um, in several places. But the 70 weeks is broken up into sections, a period of seven weeks or seven times seven, and then a period of 62 weeks. And then after that 69 weeks, the calendar is going to stop. It will start again, and there will be one final seven-year period to be fulfilled and the entire completion or we might say the fulfillment of this prophecy will know when it happens because there will again be righteousness ruling in the streets of Jerusalem. So here's an easy question. Does righteousness rule Jerusalem right now? No. So we know it's very easy. We don't need to decode the message. I don't need a decoder ring um, or anything like that. It's so plain and simple that any of us, can understand and it's so simple that we know exactly when it will start when the 69 weeks will 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 break and then we know what will signal the last seven year period now as as Daniel wrote it's from the time that the command is given to restore and rebuild Jerusalem that's just a history question we know from the Babylonian records, again, not a Christian source or a Jewish source, but just the records of history when that command was given. It was given by King Artaxerxes Longermanus. You can look that up later. On March fourth, March 4th, 445 B.C. Again, March 4th, 445 B.C., by King Artaxerxes. All you have to do is start doing the math. It's 69 weeks times seven, 483 years. A Jewish year is 360 days. So it's literally 183,000. Let me make sure I get this right. 173,880 days. March 14th, 445 B.C., start counting 173,880 days. It brings us to, I'll give you one guess, April 6th, 32 A.D., the very day that Jesus rides into Jerusalem as the Messiah. The very day. Did I mention the very day? It was so plainly made out so that everyone would know and not miss this day. Do you ever worry about missing something that God wants to do in your life or missing a key movement and you're going, Lord, what are you doing? Help me to know your will. I would love it if God would just give me a math problem and say, on this day, I'm going to do this exact thing. Well, even in the mystery of trying to figure out God's will, I have found out that God is always on time anyway, even if I'm a little slow to catch on. I love things like this in the Bible because it helps me to to really commit my life to the Lord and go, wow, he really is the God of gods, the King of kings. Did you get those dates? March 14th, 445 B.C., 173,880 days brings to April 6th, 32 AD. It was on that day Jesus officially presents himself for execution. He knows what's going to happen that week. He knows he is the Passover lamb who will be killed for the sins of the people. The clock stopped at 60, the end of the 69 weeks. And that leaves us to ask, what about that last week? There's still literally a seven-year period left. That's what we and the church call the seven-year tribulation. That's Matthew 24. That's Revelation. And we know when that is about to happen, because of Ezekiel 38 and 39. There is going to be an ally back up to Ezekiel 36 and 7. That Israel is going to be reformed as a nation. That happened in 1948. Again, never happened before in the history of the world. That a nation was scattered. Comes back together almost Uh, 1900 years later, they were scattered in 70 AD by the Romans. Reformed in 1948, retaining language, religion, culture. That has never happened, ever happened. And from that time, we, the church, have been watching what's going to happen next. Well, the next things of 38, Ezekiel 38 and 9 is there's going to be an alliance of nations that will form for the the specific purpose of wiping out Israel. And when they come against Israel, there will be no help, no salvation from this attack, except that God intervenes and shows himself to the people of Israel. We looked at this a few weeks ago. Because that alliance of nations is led by a country named Gog, which we all know now is Russia. The primary partner of Russia will be Persia, which is Iran. And if you want to know what's happening besides the trouble in Ukraine and Finland and Poland and that trouble. The other intense activity is happening in Israel. Did you know that there has been in the last two weeks a wave of terrorist attacks led by Islamic extremists against Israel. Now, do you know why? The imams in Israel believe that they have found a code in the Quran that says that Israel will be wiped out by July 9th of this year. And now, right now, during Ramadan, it is their, they believe, their mission to wipe out Israel, right now. Did you know that Russian troops are in the Middle East? Whenever you hear about Syria or Iraq attacking Israel or Hezbollah, Russia is almost always behind it. when the soviet human you excuse me before the soviet union collapsed the bordering nations of the soviet union were were islamic nations kazakhstan all those names nations that ended with stan russia has always had a connection with islamic nations and the middle east we are on high alert right now because just as god has fulfilled his word at other times we are in the literally of the days of possibly this 70th week being fulfilled when will it start it will start when a key rule uh, world ruler signs a treaty with israel that will give them supposedly peace for seven years. That's at the end of Daniel 9 as well. I could spend all of my message talking about this, but I want you to know the clock is ticking. We need to be looking around. And while we're worried about the price of gas, literally the world is realigning to prepare For these events to happen. (laughs) As Russia has made a move, the dictators of the world are pulling together. Those dictators that pretended to be diplomatic and democratic Russia, China, Iraq, Syria, Iran they are no longer pretending to be democratic. They are now just coming out with who they are. Because of the changes of administrations in both America and Israel, just as we've had a change of administration, whether you like the current administration or not, it has allowed for things to happen in the world that were being held back before. Our change Has opened the door for Russia to make its move. We were a restraining force. But this same type of change of administration has happened in Israel from a conservative to more liberal administration. And that's allowing for things to happen in the Middle East that were being held back before. This is not the political part of my message, it's just be aware. Things are shifting. And the thing is, we don't need to get caught up in politics because the politicians cannot and will not prevent God from doing the work he wants to do. God's not going to do what he wants because Republicans are in the White House. I would prefer conservative over liberal. But do you know sometimes, even when... We would say is not our candidate is in the White House. God's going to do what he wants. In fact, that is exactly. And they, they even become a pawn in moving world events along. Our confidence is in the Lord. He is our salvation. Amen. Are you with me so far? The third thing I want to just point out in this Luke 19 is how that Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He weeps over Jerusalem. Verse 41, it says, as they drew near, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace but now they are hidden from your eyes for days will come upon you. When your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you, your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation the sadness in the lord now he knows they're going to reject him but if they would receive him he would bring salvation to the people of israel and he weeps because they completely miss what's happening they completely miss it and because they don't see what's happening a spiritual blindness is going to come over their eyes. Paul says in Romans that that blindness will remain there until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that we take to mean the completion of the church. That's us. I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish. I love bacon. (laughs) Pulled pork. (laughs) And so the fullness of the church would be us being welcomed into the family of God. And when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Then the Lord will then deal with the final week of Israel and restoring the nation of Israel. But now they are hidden from your eyes. The second consequence of rejecting Jesus is literally the destruction of Jerusalem. All that that Jesus said, not one stone will be left upon another. That's not just hyperbole. That's not just a figure of speech. He is giving again such specific language that if it doesn't happen, we might say, well Jesus wasn't the Messiah. So did it happen that way? Well, actually, This is 32 AD when Jesus makes his entrance into Jerusalem. It was in 70 AD that the Roman armies led by Titus came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. Now, they were told not to touch or do anything to the temple because of the relics there, the gold in the temple. But a Roman soldier shot a flaming arrow that went into one of the windows of the temple. A fire started that burned so hot that the gold in the temple melted. So you think, why would one stone be taken down from another in the temple? Not one stone will be left upon another. That's kind of, it's, it seems like just hyperbole, exaggeration. Except that, The gold melted and ran down between all of the stones and the temple. And of course, the Roman soldiers had to get all of the gold out of there. And they literally lifted every stone from its place to get the the gold. Several years ago, we were on a missions trip in Europe. And we went to Rome. And if you go to the old city, the old areas of Rome, where the Colosseum is and the downtown, you go to what's possibly the prison cell where they kept Paul when he was imprisoned there. Somebody said, When you go there, find the Arch of Titus. Have you ever heard the Arch of Titus? Well, it was Titus that led the armies and sacked Jerusalem, and there is a huge monument in Rome right now that you can go and see, and <clears throat> they carried off from the temple the, the menorah and the ar- other artifacts in the temple. And if you look and stand under the Titus in Rome today, you can look up and see these carvings of Roman soldiers carrying off Jewish artifacts. It's there right now. You can see it. I'm sure you could look it up online and see the Arch of Titus. The Romans have documented what they did in fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus gave. Isn't that wonderful? The Romans have helped us out. It is awesome to see how God works. The Bible says this is the Lord's day. This is the day. If I were to say to you, God has something specific He wants to do in your life today, would you be open to that? Well, if I knew it was today, you know, us Americans, we are so skeptical. I am chronically the guy who goes and shops for something and can't make a decision. Go look at cars. I need a car, but I need to think about it. Salesmen hate me because I don't want to make a decision. But there comes a moment which you need to gather all the information and make a decision indecision begins to hurt you. And, you know, I would never say, oh, today's the day, and, you know, that tone that preachers get that I hate. You know, you, know if you don't make a decision today, you're going to hell. I have no idea. Let me say, I believe God is able to speak to you right now. Right now. I believe that if I can give you God's word and just explain it to you. I believe that God is speaking to you right now. I don't need to put the heat on you. The Holy Spirit is doing it right now. I can tell who it is because you're squirming a little bit. It's when I look around, you don't make eye contact with me. You're going, oh, well, my watch is telling me something. (laughs) You know more than you let on. Is that right? And I want you to know that God loves you. And in all of the days of hearing God and saying, I'm not sure, there needs to come a day of decision. And if it's today, I think it's important that you acknowledge what the Lord is doing in your heart right now. because there is a danger in saying not today. We like to think, well, that was great. Man, I've never never heard things explained like that before. That was so clear, but I don't want to make a decision today. When you come to that moment of decision and then walk away, it has a hardening effect in your heart you don't stay at that, that awareness and clarity all the time. When you see it and then reject it, see it and then turn away, you do that over and over, it creates hardening. God forbid that I should manipulate you into, you know, making some religious decision that you don't really mean. The key is that I've done my job i've prepared my heart i've explained it plainly so plainly that you could go man that that's exactly what that says that's exactly i can see it luke 19 daniel 9 ezekiel 36 to 39 like we see it lining up in the world and god makes it so plain so that you will have the confidence to make a decision